just think that when you get in an environment like the State House, you realize how much of what those folks, everything they do affects you. You get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, somebody regulated that water. You get in your car and every part of your drive yeah. is controlled in some way by government. And I just think, I think it was the totality of, of just learning about how, what a huge impact state lawmakers have on what we do every day. You're listening to Leslie Weidenpenner, editor of the Indianapolis Business Journal. Leslie talks about her life covering politics, business, and the changing nature of media on this episode of Michael Loves Indy. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Michael Loves Indy. If you've heard this show before, you know that oftentimes I like to interview people who are themselves usually interviewers. I find that people who have conducted hundreds, if not thousands of interviews over the course of their lives have got a lot to share, a lot of insights. And uh, this week's guest is certainly no exception. Uh, Leslie Weidenbenner is the editor of the Indianapolis Business Journal. She's one of my favorite people that I've met in public life here in Indiana. She's got over two decades worth of experience covering politics and business. And in this conversation, we get into Leslie's backstory, what got her interested in journalism, uh, her most valuable lessons that she's learned covering state and local politics, and then that evolution into business. And we also get into where the Indianapolis Business Journal is headed, as is much of media and digital media. Again, uh, I think you'll hear Leslie's passion for her work and I hope you enjoy this interview with Leslie Weidenbenner. So congratulations, you were promoted a year ago. Almost a year ago. Um, and, and can you share, for people who don't know you, kind of your new title and your new responsibilities and everything? I'm the editor of the Indianapolis Business Journal. So that's one of IBJ Media's three or four titles. And so I oversee a newsroom of 18 people, designers, reporters, researchers, um, and uh, editors. And we produce a weekly paper and about 14 emails throughout the week with news in them. And um, I'm trying to think, at this, you've been with IBJ now since... Six years. Six years. A little over six years. I came in as managing editor and did that until a year ago. Okay. Wow. Well, maybe we'll start at the beginning. So it was Vincennes, Indiana. I'm from Vincennes, yes. Born and raised in Vincennes and uh, started my... First, had my first dip into the news at age, well, in sixth grade when I started a sixth grade newspaper. Is that right? The Tater Tot Times. <laughs> what's, the, what's the significance of Tater Tot? Uh, that's what we had for lunch every day. Okay. Nice. I mean, it didn't, not really, but that's the way it felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tater Tots, and they were one of my favorites. Are there so. journalists in your family? Uh, there are not. No, okay. my dad was a dentist. Okay. My mom was um, the secretary of the middle school. Okay. My grandfather was a printer. He printed business cards, stationery, had his own little shop. And when I was little, I would go into the shop with him, although it was one of those places where, I mean, it was the old-fashioned printing presses, and so it was kind of a dangerous place. So he, I would have to be, 
only in a certain spot, but he had this enormous paper cutter. And when he would, you know, he bought big stocks of paper, big stacks of paper, and then he would cut them down to whatever size he needed. And there were always big stacks of leftover paper. And I was always taking the paper and turning them into books or like little newsletters or whatever. That's so cool. So that, I feel like that had something to do with what I ended up doing. The, um, the process of writing was that did that did that hook you too? Did you enjoy the? I think it was just natural. Yeah, I don't remember thinking, "Oh, this is the greatest thing ever." It just felt like so natural, such yeah. a natural thing to do. And then, so I mean, sixth grade tater tot times. I mean, would you if somebody had asked you at that time, what like what do you want to be when you grow up? Would you have said, "I want to yes. be in journalism"? Okay, wow. Yes. I if you look back through, I don't know if you I don't know if you did this, but you know, my mom kept kind of a a baby book that actually went on through like till you were almost a teenager or yeah. something. And if I look back through that, sometimes I wanted to be a dentist like my dad. I wanted to be a teacher, but through it all, I clearly wanted to be in journalism. Yeah. It's all I really ever thought I wanted to That's do. That's so cool. No, I mean, for me that changed every year, probably till I was in like, till I was in my twenties, you know, even then. So yeah, that's fantastic. Um, Vincennes, you know, so, I grew up in a town of like 4,000. Vincennes for me always seemed like a big town, I think. And I know, you know, in relation to maybe Indianapolis and Chicago, it's not so much, but it's like for the, for the listeners who might not know about Vincennes, you know, it's got the George Rogers Clark George Memorial. George Rogers Clark Memorial. Yeah. Great historic neighborhoods. It's got a university. So in some, I guess when you were growing up there, um, did you have a sense that it was, I mean, it seemed it's a it's more of a mid-sized town as Indiana goes, but it's got a lot of amenities, right? Absolutely. So it's um, I went to a decent-sized high school, you know, a thousand kids. Um, I went. We had the university in town. We had, which is two-year school, but still just creates a different sense of things. Ho- decent-sized hospital. People would come from different areas to come to the hospital. So I didn't think of it as a really small town. We did, though, going to Evansville. That was a big thing, going to Evansville to go shopping or whatever. So I knew, obviously, there were bigger places, and I had been to Indianapolis. My dad was a huge high school sports fan and a really big um, high school basketball fan. And so every year he would, he and my mom would go to the high school state basketball championship. Wow. And some years uh, I came along. Cool. And so I got to come to Indianapolis, you know, on a fairly regular basis yeah. for that reason. And you and I are just, I think, just barely too young where we wouldn't have really gotten like Larry Bird at the time. Nope. But then I'm trying to think like the 80s, there were some real iconic players. I'm trying to think like Calbert Chaney from Evansville and people like that. Is Steve that... Alford. Steve Alford, yeah. Yeah. And I and being from Vincennes, um, I went to Lincoln, Vincennes Lincoln High School. And uh, Lincoln actually went to the, won the state championship in 1981 and was the runner up in 1984. Wow. And so that high school basketball thing is just a really big part of being growing up in Vincent yeah. and, and my childhood. Did because then here's where I'm here's my mind my mind is going. It's sports journalism, political journalism. So I always knew you. I moved here in '01, and you were one of the most recognizable people in terms of writing about what happened in the state house and state and local politics. At what point, like, did did you also discover, like? a love of following politics or did that come later? I would say it came later, but it also was very natural. I don't ever remember thinking I wanted to be a political reporter in my mind. 
that's what reporters did. I'm not sure why I thought that, but that's just in my mind what reporters did was cover government. And my at our house, we my dad took three newspapers. He took the Vincent's paper, the Evansville paper, and on Sundays, the Star. Wow. And that seemed to be what we talked about a lot. Public policy and politics seemed to be what my dad talked to us at the dinner table about. Wow. He wasn't involved in politics. He thought it was bad for business to pick a side. Wow. So he wasn't involved at all. But we talked about it a lot. So then were your, were your parents kind of independent-minded then? My people? dad was very libertarian. Okay. And honestly, I didn't understand that until I got older and started understanding what libertarian was. He never called himself a libertarian, and he's not with us anymore. But I don't know how he'd feel about me calling him that. But I feel very much like he was a libertarian. My mom is very conservative. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like I've known it's a small sample size, but a lot of the journalists I've known the um, the parents had different political views, and it was almost like the experience of watching the parents kind of discuss and debate. Like, yeah, it's interesting. Sparks. My mom became more conservative over time okay. and was not that politically minded when I was younger. At least I didn't experience that. Yeah. But as she as we left the house and she had more time to do things, that's when I feel like she got. Yeah. She got more into it. And I also think, you know, cable television, cable news networks just changed everything. Absolutely. You know, she watched CNN for years and now she's a Fox fan. And yeah. I want to definitely want to get into that. I'd love, I'm, I'm dying to hear your perspectives on that. Um, so um, did you, were you so focused on journalism as you graduated high school that you knew you wanted to go to a journalism school? Yeah, and for where, sure. And where did you go? I went to Ball State. Very good. I thought about going to IU, but I felt like it was too close to home. Yeah. It was only you know an hour and a half from home, and I thought I would probably come home a lot, yeah. and I didn't want to do that. I kind of have to force myself to do most things, yep. and I so I kind of thought I needed to be further away. And yeah. so Ball State was like the perfect distance, not actually far. My parents could come get me anytime if I needed yeah. them to or come visit, but far enough that it wasn't easy for me to get home. And it has a great journalism school. Absolutely. So. David Letterman. Was, That's that right. Most obvious. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, when I was at Ball State, I have no idea if this is still there. There was some kind of plaque that was dedicated to the C students from oh, David nice, Letterman. Nice. Yeah. Love it. And it's all changed there a lot. You know, when I went there, the journalism school and the telecommunication school were totally separate. Yep. And the journalism school was in the, on the corner of campus. Now they have a big, beautiful, amazing building and they do all kinds of uh, interactive things where they, I mean, they work, they work. The two departments work together, and I think they're actually in the process of combining them now. So, Did they encourage internships at the time? Like, did you have some internship experiences that shaped your... Uh, I did. I worked for my hometown paper. All right. And around the time that I... It's the Vincent Sun commercial. And around the time I got there, they actually... A reporter left, and they just didn't fill that job that summer. So I just jumped right in, and they... It was an amazing experience. Yeah. It was probably... I had some great internships, but that was in many ways probably the best one because, yeah. you know, when you're in a small town, you just have to go do it. And I remember one time I got sent out the, the uh, you know, when you're a reporter, you listen to the scan. We don't at IBJ, but you listen to the scanner all the time. And when something's going on, you go. And I remember there was something going on and they sent me out to it. And when I got there, it was the, the woman who did my hair. It was at her house, and um, the police were there to uh, investigate them for a chop shop. Wow! Where they were ta- they were accused of taking car parts and yes, yeah, selling them. And so 
um, I remember she came running out of her house and said, uh, you don't, please don't run this story. Please don't run a story about this, Leslie. Please don't do it. Wow. And um, it was an afternoon paper, and this was late morning, and so it didn't get in that day, and she really thought that we had, that I had held it, but I didn't. Wow. So it was one of those early lessons in journalism. It doesn't really matter how well you know someone. The story and like is detach the story. from the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really hard. Um, you have to work really hard. You know, like that's one thing about journalism. It's almost like that. It's almost like you have nowhere to hide. You know what I mean? Yeah. You either produce it, you produce the story or you don't. Was that, did you feel pretty prepared for that? Or was there a time when it was like, you know, kind of no, like I, the story you just told where it's like, whoa, this is, this is intense. No, I think most, I felt pretty prepared for it. I, I think there's a reason people go into newspapers and daily journalism, which until I got here, I was all about daily journalism, which is you're just a very, I'm very driven by deadlines. I'm a procrastinator. My husband would be happy to tell you that um, I don't do anything until I have to. And so the daily deadline situation is great for people like me because you just got to, you're right. You have to produce, you just, you have to go do it and you have to produce something. And there's just, there's no wiggle room. Yeah. That's so interesting. By the way, I'm gonna, after this ends, I'm going to send you something. My wife sent me the New York Times. They re-ran an article from 2019. And th- this is a departure, but it's so I want to, because you mentioned procrastination. It basically says, if you procrastinate, which I'm guilty of as well, it's not that you're lazy. It's something about the negative emotions associated with the task that you're resisting. And seriously, it's just, it's something that it's probably oh, pretty that's basic. that's so me. But I read that. But, but here's the thing. You, you just said something like, as you know, um, I, my later in life, I've realized that when I encounter procrastination, like setting those like micro, micro deadlines has been so, so important to me. I do it with music all the time. You know what I mean? It's like micro deadlines, like something don't get overwhelmed, but schedule something every day. And it, you just, you just, it just sparked that, that that's that like the rhythm of journalism is a good uh, antidote for that. Yeah. And I find as a manager, when I became a manager, that that became especially important. Yeah. Is setting really small deadlines yeah. because it's so easy to get overwhelmed by so many different tasks. Yeah. We, um, when, because I know I want to get into politics, but this is, this, this, this is great. I'm filling well, let me gaps go, in the story. Yeah. Well, let me go back yeah, to yeah, say that then the, the, I don't even remember exactly how this happened or why I decided to do it, but the uh, that Indiana House and Senate have interns every year, and one of the interns is in the media office, and I was kind of too dumb in college to know that I shouldn't probably go do an internship with like a political organization or whatever, but I applied and, and got um, a media internship with the Indiana House. And that is where I feel like the politics thing like yeah. really took hold. Okay. So I spent a semester uh, working for le- lawmakers and uh, writing press releases. Yeah. It was fantastic practice. I learned so much about government and I fell so in love with the state house that I was, that was my whole goal was to get back to the state house to work, to be a reporter someday. No kidding. So um, what, was there like I know for a lot of young people in general, there's one project you know that kind of, that maybe changes your life or puts you on a different. Was there, was there one, was there one project or one or was it a series of things that kind of what 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 made that the state house environment and the work uh, click for you? I just think that when you get in the env- an environment like the state house, you realize how much of what 
those folks, and I feel this way, especially at the state level. I think the city government level is true to the state level is absolutely true that everything they do affects you. And I, when I talk to young people or to future reporters or just people about government, I always say, if you think about every single thing you do every day, you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, somebody regulated that water. Um, you yeah. get out you, the food that you're eating. Somebody regulated uh, the you know meat. They regulated even the vegetables. They regulated how it's sold, how much tax is paid on it. You get in your car, and every part of your drive yeah. is controlled in some way by government. And I just think I think it was the totality of that internship and yeah. of just learning about how what a huge impact state lawmakers have on what we do every day. Yeah, interesting. So let's talk about the environment of the state house specifically because this is where I see such a, a wide variety. Okay, so for like for myself and and you know the the state house a thousand times better than I do, but it's like like I I can enjoy individual interactions with some lawmakers. There's some lawmakers that I, I don't at all, as you know, but but some that I, I really enjoy. The statehouse environment has always been super challenging for me. You know what I mean? Like kind of like di- very difficult. Other people, I think it really clicks for them. But you're 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 answering that for me in terms of it was almost what you're describing it is it was almost a portal into like how things are organized like in the world, you know. But was there something about something about being there and the relationships that really that where you kind of got the bug? I was really fortunate to have an in the person that I worked for as an intern was a guy named Ron Green. Yeah. And Ron, um, a, a lot of people may know him. He used to work at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Even back at the time that I was working for him at the State House, he was very into motorsports um, and talked a lot about that. Now he's a real estate agent. But Ron took his job really seriously and he cared a lot about about people, about the people who were affected by legislation, about the way the process worked. And I think that highly ethical way of thinking about things really appealed to me. Interesting. Um, So as you gained more responsibility from there, so that that internship you said was particularly powerful, where where did you go from there? So I uh, I did an internship at the Indianapolis News at the time. There used to be the Indy Star and the Indy News. It was a Pulliam Fellowship, so I worked at the Indianapolis News. And then I took my first job in South Carolina, in Anderson, South Carolina. And uh, I had a couple of job options, but I thought actually going to a smaller place, it wasn't really that small. But... I thought going to a smaller place rather than staying in Indianapolis would be really good for me. Yeah. And so I went there, covered local government, eventually covered state government. Fantastic job. I absolutely loved it. It was upstate South Carolina. It was a wonderful place to be. I met amazing journalists I'm still friends with today. That's great. And then I uh, ended up taking a job in Fort Wayne. And a couple years later, ended up taking a job at the state house covering state government. So... And I think one of the things as a reporter that is fantastic about the State House that you can't get in most other situations is that so many things are happening right in front of you. And the people that you need to talk to are around. Yeah. And so if you need to track down a lawmaker for a story, if you just keep walking around, if you keep going to different rooms and different offices, you are going to find that person. Yeah. It's a lot different than when you're trying to get somebody on the phone and they just choose not to call you back. You can't find them. But in the state house, you can find lobbyists who are lobbying on bills. You can find 
um, people who work for the governor's office. You can walk right into people's offices. You can track down lawmakers. And I loved that's what I loved about it. Yeah. Is you can just you could get so much done. You could learn so much and you could kind of force people to answer your questions in ways that you can't do in a lot of other places. The environment at the time, would you would you have said, because I didn't move to Indianapolis until 2001, but the environment you're describing, I'm assuming this is now late. 96. 96. 96 was my first session. And we and Indiana at the time was a. Democrat-leaning conservative state. Evan Bayh was the governor. Yep, and then so, Frank O'Bannon came in in 96. Frank O'Bannon came, yep. Frank O'Bannon uh, met, beat Steve Goldsmith right. in the first election that I covered, the first gubernatorial election I covered. And yeah, at the time, I mean, the Democrats had held, had been in control of the House um, kind of on and off. And the Senate was controlled by Republicans the entire time I was there. But it wasn't always by a supermajority. The supermajority came really late in my time covering the state house so early on it was frankly just much more fun it was much more fun it was much more interesting no one side could take the could ignore the other side there you had to at least take into consideration some things that the minority party wanted to do and you know when the house and senate were controlled by different parties or even if the house and senate were both controlled by republicans and the governor was a Democrat, there were, it was just much more dynamic and much more, many more opinions got out there. So more compromise, I'm imagining too. Cause I mean, it's like, and some of these people, I'm kind of, it's kind of too bad I wasn't around, but it's like, you know, um, John Gregg has become somebody I consider a personal friend now. I, I didn't get to see him when he was in his days as speaker, but it's like figures like, um, like that, like, are there, are there figures, men and women who stand out as kind of that, civil servant, you know, really living it out. Yeah. Luke Kenley was uh, a huge, uh, a person that I really enjoyed covering. Yeah. He was one of those guys who, when you asked him a question, he, he was not, he might try to spin you a little bit, but he, he had to, he just, he told you the way it was. And I feel like Kenley, whom I don't know well, it's always grounded in his philosophy of government too. Is that right? Absolutely. And he's a small government guy, but he's, but he actually does believe in government though. He's not an anti-government guy. And so he was always fun to cover. I loved covering Larry Borst. You'll find that I always loved covering the money guys. Uh, The people who are involved in money, I just always, I mean, they had so much power. I mean, I always felt like the, people who wrote the budget were as powerful as the house speaker or the Senate president pro tem. So, um, I always enjoyed them. And then my, some of my very favorite people in the state, uh, in the governor's administrations were always the budget people too, Peggy Bohm or Betty Cockrum or, um, yeah. yeah, Um, but, um, Ryan Kitchell and, you know, those folks. So Ryan hired me into Mitch Daniels' administration. Well, I first hired me on the, the end of the campaign, beginning of the transition. So, yeah. I don't know how Ryan would feel about me saying that, but uh, saying this, but Ryan is the quintessential, like, state budget director who can't spin or, like, t- t- lead you astray. Nope. So, if I could go, if I could totally get blunt. to Ryan. Totally blunt. And say, what is this situation? He would tell me. And I love money people because of that. Yep. Kathy are, Davis. He, Kathy Davis, fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so yeah. I, yeah. I loved covering them. I, I, you know, I really uh, enjoyed covering a lot of the women in the State House, Linda Lawson yeah. and um, uh, uh, Teresa Lubbers. Yes. 
fantastic. And these are all people, I mean, all the people you're mentioning too, especially the legislators are people who, I don't know if we would call them moderate, but they always knew how to get a deal done. That, absolutely. That, yeah. That's 100% true. And, yeah. you know, there are still a lot of those folks around. I mean, you look at somebody like um, Justin Moed. Justin yes. Moed is a Democrat. Yep. Um, so he's in the minority. He's been in the minority a long time. He's from Indianapolis. But that guy knows how to get legislation passed. He, knows. he hustles. Absolutely. And, yeah. he, and he looks for ways to work with Republicans. He looks for issues that they're going to care about, too. And yeah. he's practical. So for people listening um, who, who don't cover um, uh, state legislatures closely or things like that, I, I've made a statement on here before that I almost feel like 20% of the, the issues get, um, I, I think the IBJ is an exceptionist, 20% of the issues get 90% of the press, and there's all this stuff that's very meaningful. You mentioned budget directors and funding agencies, the agencies that carry out the work, where if a... Uh, if if a person had if more people had a window into that aspect, I, th- I know it's getting tougher. If more people had a window into that aspect, I think they'd believe in government more. Is I that totally? Is that a, I, yeah, I completely agree. I, the vast majority of lawmakers and folks in you know, administrations and various governors administrations that I met were a genuine caring people. Yeah, trying to do the right thing. Yeah, they often disagreed about either what the right thing was or how to get to the right thing. Right. And that's where most of the debate is. Yeah. I, and I, you're right. Many, many things pass the legislature unanimously. I mean, bill after bill after bill passed the unanimous, passed unanimously, even in this extremely difficult environment that we're in now, extremely partisan environment. Most things pass with overwhelming support. It's the other stuff that gets all the coverage and, I never, I've never asked you this before, but I remember I hadn't lived here long, and I remember a maybe a walkout of House Republicans because the the um, House wouldn't vote on same sex marriage at the time. This is like '01 or '02, and I remember thinking I just moved here, and I remember thinking, okay, I don't know, this is this, I don't this, I, I don't know where this is going. Remarkable how far you know. I mean, the cult, culture changes and everything's changed. I don't think any I've ever seen anything change as fast as that did. Is that right? No change, no change, no change for no. years. And then the constitutional amendment change. and then the yeah. RIFRA here in Indiana. Yeah. Change fast. Were there, do you, were, were there early signs, you know, late nineties or into the two thousands that could have predicted the more divisive, you know, environment that we're in now? Were there, th- are there things that happened that, that, that you remember now looking back? I think in Indiana, it happened somewhat more gradually. But I think the Mitch Daniels era is when I saw things change a lot. Yeah. That's not to, that's that's not about him particularly or about blaming him. Right. But, you know, Mitch Daniels had so much power and the Democrats were so frustrated by it. Yeah. And he got, um, he got Republicans, he got the House and Senate to be, you know, both Republican control. Yep. And the Democrats were just so frustrated. And he got really frustrated with them, too. I don't know if you remember, but the Demo- when the Democrats were in control of the House and they killed a bunch of bills over, I can't remember exactly what it was over now. But, you know, the <laughs> Governor Daniels called them car bombers. And that just started this really frustrating time for right. democrats and Pat then Bauer was speaker maybe Pat Bauer was speaker yeah yep. 
And and the Democrats did, I think, come back into control after. Maybe after maybe that. Maybe no six. Yeah, and game, that's game, when Scott Pilath was speaker, right. I believe. Yeah. Um, and so, but I I do think things started changing then, and uh, Republicans uh, gained they gained a lot on the back of Mitch Daniels, Absolutely. and then then you know as the as more Republicans got in office, they became more conservative. The yes. the caucus became more conservative. And as Democrats got beat in many, many places, you know, I think of Southern Indiana, because I did end up working for the Louisville paper, covered Southern Indiana. And as Southern Indiana turned from conservative Democrat into Republicans, a lot of those moderate Democrats went away. There just weren't very many moderate Democrats. There weren't very many as many moderate Republicans anymore. And that's when you really start to started to see so much divisiveness. Yeah. And then at the time, so you're you're taking on more responsibility and really transitioning from reporter to editor. Um, and I know you because you you've been a fixture on uh, inside no on um, Indiana Weekend Review. For, I was yeah were, for years. For I wasn't a years. regular, but I was a regular substitute. There you go. Yeah, yeah, like uh, Alec Baldwin on SNL. Yeah, there you right? go. Exactly. So, so yeah, so not so becoming an editor. So you know, not every star athlete becomes a good coach you know not every musician becomes a good band leader you know so what did you did did um did you feel well suited to becoming an editor and then getting more into management Uh, i have to tell you i had no desire to be an editor i thought that i was going to be a statehouse reporter for the rest of my career and i honestly thought i was going to be a statehouse reporter for the louisville courier journal for the rest of my career i i loved that job i had great editors i loved that newspaper that paper is part of Gannett, and yeah. Gannett at some point said, you know, it was during one of their big layoffs. Uh, it was back in two th- 2001, I think, and they laid off 700 people the day they laid me off. And I understood it um, in that when if the editor of my paper, who I loved, had to make a call about who to lay off. They laid off the person who was living in, who was working in Indianapolis, where they owned another paper. So, I, it was devastating. It was an absolutely devastating experience yeah. because I really believed that I'd be there forever. Uh, but I should have seen it coming, and I did earlier. It's a long story, but yeah. I really thought I'd get laid off at some point. Yeah, and then at some point I thought, nah, I think it's not going to happen, and I kind of let it go, and then it happened. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so the job that came open right at that time was overseeing the, uh, Franklin college's state house reporting program. And so I was fortunate enough to get chosen for that job. And, uh, that's how I got into editing because I, I never, I never would have made the leap if I had just kept that job, but it turned out I really loved it. Did you enjoy the students? I loved the students. Great. I don't have kids. Yeah. And so all of a sudden I felt like I had 20 yeah, that's great. kids. Yeah. And I lo- I absolutely loved it. And some of, I have such strong relationships still with so many of those that's great. kids. And in fact, we have a bunch of them more work at IBJ yeah. Media. So, uh, but that's where I got into editing. And yeah. uh, I was, I was very surprised I liked it. That's great. So that that kind of the, the 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 coaching and the mentoring that has to be a part of that came pretty naturally. Then. It did, and you're right. Not everybody can make the leap, and I and yeah. I have to say, you know, the uh, I feel like I got really lucky yeah. because um, it, I'm not sure I could have gone straight from being a reporter to editing professionals. Yeah, 
I think the experience of editing students first, yeah. where it was more teaching than it editing, and then working my way into editing was really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so uh, I know we're fast forwarding, but because because um, IBJ, you said that was six years ago. Six years ago, was that a, was that a hard uh, hard decision to make that jump? It was very difficult to leave the students. Yeah. I loved I them and I loved what we were doing. Yeah. So what we were I doing bet. was we were, uh, students were coming to the state house and covering stories that no one else was covering. And we would have, sometimes we'd have 10 to 15, even 20 students. So we would get to cover things that no one else got to pay attention to. We put them, we created a website, the statehousefile.com. We started loading stories there, and then we would also distribute those stories to newspapers who paid a fee to get the stories. Yes. And those stories ran all over the state. And it was an incredibly satisfying thing to get to do. Having said that, I felt like I was ready for another challenge. And so Corey Shouten was the managing editor at IBJ at the time. He left to go um, to New York to do a program uh, uh, business reporting program and Greg Andrews called and asked if I would have breakfast with him and I honestly did not think that I would have any that much interest and then I had breakfast with him and thought I gotta have this job wow so what was it about what was it about it it just sounded interesting and different yeah. and uh and the state house uh, editing job was a little overwhelming. Yeah, I bet. There was a lot. It was a lot of hours. Yeah. It was a lot of really late nights. And I thought that working for a business journal sounded like it would not be quite so yeah. hectic on yep. my personal life. Yep. And how wrong you were. I no, was so kidding. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of wrong. No. Um, we do, we do uh, you know, I, I kind of got drawn in by the uh, once a week the, that we're a, we produce a newspaper once a week and yeah. we do a daily email, but no, it's so much more. You're we always do go, so go, go. much more. I mean, sorry, than that. you, you don't, sorry, you don't, you ne you never strike me as any, as anyone who's like frantic and everything like that. But I just, the sheer amount of content that IBJ puts out is really, it's a lot. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It's a lot. And, uh, I am so lucky to have just an incredible staff yeah. and they work so hard, but it is, it's a lot, yeah. you know, and it, it we not only do we do so much news, but we do all these programs like 40 under 40 yeah. and women of influence. And we have power breakfast events where we, you know, have reporters uh, moderate panels about discussion about various issues. And so it's, it's a lot, but yeah. it's very exciting. Absolutely. Now the business journal, uh, Indianapolis business journal really, um, you know, this is just my personal view. Um, has really upped its local reporting in the in in recent years in in a way that's really benefited Indianapolis. But you know, there's there's a twist to go from someone who's covering the state house and covering state and local policy with depth. Well, now you're covering business, you're covering tech, you know, things like that. Um, did um, did it, did did that click immediately, or did it take some time to get kind of get into it? It definitely took time to get into it, and. The staff here will tell you that they spent the fir my first year saying that's not really an IBJ story. Yeah, <laughs> because I just didn't get it for a while. Yeah, uh, and so it did take a while. But I will say also we have expanded some 
of what we consider an IBJ story. Sure. And that was already happening when I got here. But we re- what we like to say is that we interpret business broadly. And so government has a huge impact on business. And so we've we do have more people covering government now yes. than we had before. And we have a government a newsletter called The Rundown that's all about politics and government. And we also, we've started covering the arts again. We had done that for a while, stopped doing it. We're now covering the arts and um, the art scene a lot more. And But, you know, business just touches absolutely everything. Yes. And so we really try to reflect that the best we can. Yeah. The areas we really don't cover much, we don't cover crime unless it's, we cover corporate crime. Yes. And we don't cover sports. We cover the business of sports. We cover the business of the Pacers, and we cover the business of the field house. But we aren't going to ever cover games or yeah. players. Yeah. On um, on the business side, you know, so like, like the Huber family ditched print a couple of years ago. We kept up the digital because we just didn't read the paper. But I'm on IBJ.com every day. You know, um, I, you know, I subscribe to multiple emails that go out and things like that. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm middle-aged now, so I know I, I don't, I don't have as much insight into the, you know, younger people. I know IBJ is pretty active on social media, but, um, how, like, if you, if you can kind of predict, you know, where, where this could be headed, um, and I haven't even gotten insight into Indiana business yet, but where do you, where, you know, where do you think, um, uh, you know, media and a public, you know, you're privately held at the IBJ. So you've yeah, got, we've got three local owners, Nate Feltman, Bob Schloss and Mickey Maurer. Yeah. And we feel unbelievably fortunate. That very entrepreneurial. Very yeah. entrepreneurial. Yeah. And it just really, you know, there are great things about being part of a big chain, a lot of resources that are available, but yeah. there are fantastic things about being locally owned and we love it. So, yeah. So, so you've got a ton of autonomy in your role to make changes and try new things um, in, in general, I'm not mm-hmm. in, in general, sure. where do you, yeah, where do you, where do you think this is headed? So I think business journals in terms of printing have a much longer runway probably than daily papers. Okay. You know, when you're printing daily, the expense of that is just incredible. And I, I, there's a lot of criticism leveled. I feel like at daily newspapers these days yeah. for, the frustration people feel about what they cover and what they don't cover, but the expense that goes into printing a daily paper, filling a daily paper is just incredible. So I don't know how they're all still doing it. We're lucky that we have one, one paper a week and our print remains pretty strong. We're print. We actually have more people who receive our print issue than we had 10 years ago. Yeah. And we actually have more subscribers than we had. 10 years ago, we're at a record number of subscriptions. And what we still do actually is when you, you can't buy a digital subscription to IBJ, you buy a subscription and you get the paper and you get digital. If you choose not to get the paper, you can make that choice. But we actually, we encourage everybody to get the paper. The fine, the financial underpinnings of the news business are complicated because there is still Print advertising still brings in far more revenue than digital advertising. Wow. So the print remains really important to us. And that's also why we do so many special publications yeah. in print. Book but of lists. Or, yeah. Absolutely. The book of lists, which we've changed the name to the book. 
Oh, really? Yes. The, okay. It's now called the book is that, because no it's got a little bit of everything in okay. it now. It's actually going to the printer Wednesday. This is the first year that's just called the book? It's the first year Good it's enough. just called the book. Okay. That's... And, and we're actually introducing a new feature, which is... Um, that we uh, that we're doing newsmakers of the year. Oh, cool. So we are naming um, people who are the biggest newsmakers oh, and doing profiles of them. Yeah, so yeah, cool. that's kind of fun. Um, what was your question? Just the just the changing nature of it. Oh you got, yeah, there's so many moving pieces right now. You know, as I there's no doubt though that print probably will go away someday. Yeah, and so we have to keep getting better at providing people a digital format that's easy to read yeah and that is complicated because we all consume news digitally so differently some yeah. people are get almost everything from social media uh, some people rely heavily on email newsletters yeah. and some people want to go online and they want to flip through an issue that looks like it looks like the print issue but is in digital format maybe on their ipad and so figuring out how to provide uh, all of those avenues in a really effective way is is hard. Yeah, and we we don't think we have all the answers at all. Yeah. we know we need to be better on social media than we are. Uh, b- long before I got here, IBJ got into the newsletter game, and actually long before almost any other local media did, and actually early for a lot of business journals too started yeah. sending out a daily. In fact. Our daily newsletter that gets emailed started as a fax daily. Is it right? Yeah. There would, there'd be little tidbits on it and it got faxed around. Yeah. It, it's, it's a, there's a real skill, you know, IBJ 8 at 8, which I read all the time. Shout out to Mason King. Mason's on my list. I'd love to interview Mason. because Mason would probably be, be happy to do that. He's got so many interests. I mean, man, you talk music with Mason and he'll go into like any genre. But, you know, there's a, there's a real skill to like filter and synthesize everything that's going on. Um, and the IBJ obviously does that over multiple platforms. Then um, there's the um, the acquisition of, of you know, inside Indiana business that takes place. You know Gary Dick. If you're if you're one of our listeners in Indianapolis, you know Gary Dick well. I'm, and I'm just um, I'm just so interested. You know Gary. Um, it, that's always the best show to go on, you know, because he's going to he's going to get into the issue, but you never have to worry that he's going to um, put you on the spot, you know, or make you look bad. You know, it's it's almost it's almost like telling people what's here, you know, in Indianapolis and in Indiana. And there's a real there's a real value to that. And yet, you know, you you do have um, some reporters because I take their calls sometimes that are pretty hard hitting. You know, they're covering the news at all costs. And so it's a dip. What what seems like what India inside Indiana br- brings is badly needed for us as a city and a state, but it's very different. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. No, than sure. the hardcore uh, journalistic side. Absolutely, right? and we're still trying to figure out how to marry that. Yeah. So we uh, IBJ Media, which is our parent company, bought Inside Indiana Business in in September. Yes. So now we have the brands we have are. Um, all under Inside Indiana, all under IBJ Media are the Indiana Lawyer, which is every other week goes statewide to the legal community, IBJ, and then Inside Indiana Business. And so we're all three under uh, that larger company, but we are trying to figure out ways to work together. And we're starting to see a little bit of that. So Inside IBJ every week now, there's a a two-page spread that has statewide stories that we get from Inside Indiana Business. And now I'm going on the Inside Indiana Business show each week to promote what's going to be an IBJ. Yeah. We're going to be figuring out a lot more ways to do that. But you're right. The cultures are different. 
between our two properties and kind of our missions are different. Yeah. The mission of Inside Indiana Business, I would say, to some degree is to promote business, to promote the business community. I don't think support the business community is quite the right term, but to uh, but to tell people what's going on. Yeah. Tell people what's going on. You're right that IBJ's is much more of a traditional news yeah. organization. Yeah. So we're figuring out how to work together. But what we're really excited about is the idea of doing more statewide. Nate Feltman, who is the 50% owner of IBJ yeah. and the CEO, he's also publisher of IBJ and the lawyer, really wanted to do more to cover all of Indiana because, you you know, the Indianapolis and, and Metro Indianapolis is kind of the leader for much of the rest of the state. Yeah. But but what's happening across the state is incredibly important to everything that's happening yeah. here. It's like, and this is where, you know, you and I can both get on a stump about this, but there's so much specifically R&D and STEM across the state, and there's such a concentration of it here. And I get a little bit defensive isn't the word. I, I definitely used to get defensive as, you know, having a lot of family on the West Coast um, you know, I want to tell them, you know, hey, don't you know, if you add up, you know, central Indiana plus um, Warsaw's um, biotech, it's like 90% of what Boston has. And there's, a, you know, there's a hundred different anecdotes. Absolutely. But, but um, and that's, I think, like you, I feel a tremendous sense of responsibility to get that story out there in a way that's not, um, you know, um, uncritical uh, cheerleading you know you know what i mean but there's just like there's especially the last 30 years i mean it, it's it's really incredible what has happened certainly in indianapolis but in other parts of the state oh, what's when happening you think at about, purdue yeah and purdue, west, lafayette, west lafayette what's yeah. happening at west lafayette is incredible and yeah. if we're not covering that on a regular basis then we're missing a huge yeah. part of the story when my 11 year old son dominic he'll appreciate this he told me uh he's obsessed with maps and uh, West Lafayette is now the most densely populated city in Indianapolis. Is that's that happened. right? Yeah, fairly recent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's With so all the, interesting. All the high rises yeah. and everything like that. That's yeah. so Next interesting. But yeah, I mean, there's things. There's interesting things going on all over. Yeah. The state, you know, where the area that I used to cover, the the Indiana suburbs of Louisville. I mean, there is a tremendous growth yep. there, and there's a lot of STEM jobs and a lot of science-based or um, there's some space oriented companies yes. down there i mean when you think about what's going on at cranes which is kind of in the middle of of crane yeah. kind of in the middle of nowhere i mean there's big stuff going on yeah. there and again if we're not covering that stuff then we're we're not getting the whole story absolutely so, yeah so we care a lot about trying to be more statewide both yeah. in our coverage but also in the events that we do um and so we really thought that having inside Indiana business would help us with that. And then, you know, we love the idea of doing more video. We want to do a lot more video and, and, you know, we love the idea of doing TV and Gary is a huge name in business across the state. Absolutely. And so we are so excited to have him on the team. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So I know that, I know that we, 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 you and I talk about this. It's like the nature of your job and responsibilities is it's a daily grind and there's no way around it, but on the occasions when you can take a step back, um, what are your, what are your, what, what, what concerns you or even, or flip, flip that around. What are your hopes, you know, for the, for the future? Cause it's like, and I, I'm not leading toward any particular, but it's like, we're more, we're not, we're more politically polarized to so like the national stuff has now kind of infected the state and local that just is. And yet 
on the other side of the coin, it's it's this incredible time. You know, tech is disrupting everything, but I also feel like if you're a young person, um, there's so much opportunity today. You, you know what I mean? I do. You know, my what I'm hoping at IBJ is that what I've always considered journalism a way to help people make better decisions about their lives, whether you're a business person, whether it's how you vote or what you pay for your house or all of those things. The most important thing we can do is help people make better decisions. I feel like at IBJ, we're doing a really good job of that in some ways, but in other ways, but I don't know that we're necessarily helping people to figure out how to advance in their careers or to how to become better leaders or Mm. do those things that are not exactly news, but still provide an incredible opportunity for us and for the people that we cover. And a big part of that, I think, is covering women better, doing a better job representing women in our paper and representing people of color. And I think we've come a long way over the past couple of years in trying to uh, make sure that we are very representative in when we name women of influence, but even on what stories we put on the front page and the things that we cover. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have played a tiny part in uh, One City Worlds Apart series. Um, shout out to Haley Colombo, who's now in Columbus. She's, she's in Columbus, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, working for the Business Journal there. Yeah, yeah. we miss her terribly. Now, that, 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 that series about poverty in Indianapolis, and you reported it on it, you report, reporting on it in a way I think is very relevant to people in general, but definitely people, business decision makers. Um, I agree. I mean, it's, you know, readers like myself have seen the shift. Well, Michael, you were one of the primary reasons why we went down that road, actually. The the chamber, uh, working with Brookings and some others, brought us information that showed the problems that Indianapolis was having in the gap. And, you know, we really started talking about and, and shout out as well to Greg Andrews, who was the previous editor of IBJ for recognizing that. And we really worked hard together to put together some ideas for trying to help people understand that even if you are among the group of people in Indianapolis that are doing well, that are growing, uh, where your, your company's growing or your personal finances are growing or things are going well for you, that doesn't matter if there's a huge part of the city that is struggling yep. and that you've got to close that gap. You can't grow too. You can't, you can't grow your city and your region based on people from other parts of the country moving in. You know, if you, and if, I mean, not, not only do I feel, and I know you do too, that it's the morally right thing to do is to help the people who live in our city access those jobs. It's like you lit- you literally put a cap on your growth, you know, and it's, a, and I, I, th- I think that, I think with, with that series being one example, I think, um, you know, you did a really good job of, of telling an impactful story. How do you, I mean, the part that gets depressing and, but I, I want to, I want to, I'm looking for a silver lining is these problems that we're talking about are more and more complex and if more and more people tune out from state and local politics, or if um, I say this without being elitist, the quality of people running, like when, I, when I say quality of people running for office, what I mean is people who have achieved some level of success in something else, whether it's business or teaching or something like that, you know, th- those are typically the men and women who are the most impactful um, elected leaders when they've had, you know, when they've had some success in something else. It's like, how do you if you could wave a magic wand, you know, when you look at our, 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 you know, our, our state and local politics or our community, are there things that come to mind? 
Well, I think one thing that in my world that we could do a lot better, that journalism, journalists in general could do a lot better, is writing about and getting stop getting so caught up in the horse race or stop getting spending so much time covering the sort of the the fighting over details yep. and personalities spend, maybe. and personalities yeah. and spend much more time writing about policy. I've yeah. always been a big fan of writing about policy. If I could have in my in uh, as a uh, state house reporter, if I could have never covered another election, I would have been totally fine with it. I did not enjoy yeah. covering elections. I enjoyed covering budgets and public policy and unemployment and all of those things that put a lot of people to sleep. But I think if we found, if we all found better ways to make policy more understandable and more relatable to people and spent more time writing about that than we do about who's arguing with who over some detail that in the end isn't going to matter that much, yes. I think that would first it would encourage more people to get involved in politics because it wouldn't seem so scary. Yeah. It wouldn't feel like uh, that's all there is yes. because it's really not all there is. People, you know, I mean, look at somebody like um, Senator Todd Young. Senator Young has gone to Washington and found ways to do a lot of really interesting things despite uh, how uh, partisan everything is right now. He's yes. found ways to work w on both sides of the aisle. And I got to tell you, you know, I covered um, Todd Young when he was running for um, uh, running for office early on, and he kind of parroted a lot of the Republican talking points yep. early on. With, and yep. and I did not know kind of where he was going to end up, where he was, how he was going to be perceived. Right. But he really kind of yep. grew into that role. Do you know, I've never told you this. He is one of the first people I met when I moved to Indianapolis in 2001 through my friends Stephen and David. And That's funny. He was so, and he that he has not changed who he is. You know, what I mean, and he's a great example of having find ways to be uh, impactful. And I've I've told my wife, I'm like, don't watch his ads. They're only going to make you mad. You know what I mean? Because every every national and senator, if you're listening, I have, have you probably never hear this, but I'm I'm sorry, but it's like. Don't just don't pay attention to the ads because it's going it, to it's going to sound too much like the national rhetoric. If you get him offline, you know, he speaks to our folks all the time on really substantive stuff, you know, like this. That's like this, the problem this with so many of these ads. I'm yeah, sorry. Go ahead, because what you're no, talking about is important. It, in it, in it, it, the this this could be the, the I know the subject of a whole other talk, but it's like that tribalism and always needing to score points on the other side. I think Senator Todd Young is a really good good example where I think it obscures, I think he would say this, obscures a lot of the highly substantive stuff that he spends his time on. I think that's true. And I think that's true, frankly, for most lawmakers, yeah. even those that you might consider much more partisan. Yeah. I think in the end, though, they're, most of them are trying hard to do work that they they believe will help their constituents. Yeah. And I think those things just don't get enough coverage. And yeah. I'm as guilty of that as anybody. Do you spend any time now I'm thinking, cause here's where I'm going. You're talking about kind of Todd Young, but also the, the national rhetoric and how social media is now evolving so fast to just get us in our camps with only people that we, we agree with and things like that. Um, does does like does IBJ Media have to spend a lot of time trying to figure out how do you how do you work around clickbait and how do you work around a lot? You know, of we don't. I good. one thing that I feel fortunate about is that IBJ has never been very click focused. Okay. And as it turns out, um, being click focused isn't very helpful. Yes. Uh, no, no. In addition to all the sort of uh, 
ethical reasons that it's not useful. It's not actually even that useful for making money. Uh, The, you know, the, the digital ads pay very little. So, so it's not, it's not that important. We need to have enough clicks on our stories to feel like they're getting out there. Yeah. But we don't want to, we're, we're not out to fool anybody into clicking on a story. We have no interest. Yeah. So we actually, we pay attention to some metrics, but not nearly as much as most news organizations do. We really are striving to cover what we think is the most important news. Yeah. Um, and it's harder when you most when you're doing mostly digital, and we are doing mostly digital. I mean, we put out a paper once a week. Otherwise, we're doing digital. One of the things that I feel like a printed newspaper always did for people is set some set some priorities or set it it helped to to show you what were the biggest news of the day. And some people would say we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be telling you what the biggest stories are, but. I actually appreciated that as a reader, that if I could pick up the front page and those were the most important stories of the day, and then if I wanted to go deeper, I could go deeper into the paper. Now on a website, so many news websites are all about which story is getting the most clicks, whether or not that story is actually going to impact your life the most. And so one good thing that because we put so much emphasis on newsletters, we still get to serve that role, yeah. kind of a gatekeeper role to some degree yeah. in terms of telling people, these are the three or four stories at the top of the newsletter that we think you need to pay attention to. Yeah, the rest of the stuff is there and you click on it if you want. Yep. But these are the things that we think are important for your life. Yeah. So so you've been more than generous with your time. And um, and um. I've said this. I've said this to another guest, but I'm going to have to do a part two sometime <laughs> next it. year because it's. T- but you um, got it. So, so you're fairly new in your role as editor, like, and so uh, the, you know, from from being a political reporter to then mentoring reporters, and now you've taken on a big, you know, business is a big part of your portfolio and everything. Like that are there things about the job or where the job is headed that really ignite your passion? now because it's different because your role now is very different than what it was previously. I I would say this idea of trying to do a better job of serving the entire community Yeah. um, in in terms of uh, income disparity among readers, but also in terms of uh, women and people of color. It's, I'm having so much fun getting to know such a broader group of people. You know, when you do spend most of your career in politics, you do get to know kind of one type of person. I mean, that's I'm I'm exaggerating. Yeah. But then when you get out of that world and and believe me, I thought I was going to miss the state house. I thought I'd be over there all the time. I, I don't miss it at all. And that is not a criticism of the state house. But when I left, I was, that was it. Different chapter, different chapter. And I have loved getting to know such a broad range of types of people. And so what I, what I hope for and what gets me excited is finding ways for the IBJ to expand and to and to serve all of those people and to cover all of those people so that we're doing a better job of covering big corporations, which are incredibly important and employ a ton of people, but also doing a better job covering startups, covering mom and pop shops, covering not for profits and all of those things. Yeah. And and I think we can do that, yeah. and we and we have been doing that, yeah. and that's going to be the goal. I th- look for me. I think the, your most impactful work was really at the height of the pandemic. You know, I Thank don't think you. I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm sure I didn't rely on IBJ. 
I've never relied on IBJ more than summer, fall 2020, you know, especially, you know, just when, I mean, the public health information was like changing multiple times a day, you know. It was. Just, it was hard to do. And we dropped our paywall for a long time yes. during that period. Yes. And, uh, and, of course, it's back up now. Um, but, you know, we that was just an incredibly important time yeah. to, to try to be good at our jobs. Yeah. Um, best way for people unfamiliar with IBJ, I mean, IBJ.com, you can subscribe, you can tune in, you can subscribe to, to multiple newsletters. Yeah. Newsletters. Interest, right? Yeah. Newsletters are free and, um, the, uh, and then, and you can get it sort of a taste of what we do. We yeah. do have a paywall, but you know, I want to pay my reporters to yeah. do really great work. Um, the convenings, the, the convenings are really cool. I've had, I have had a couple people over the years saying, well, do you guys, comp- does Indie Chamber compete with the IBJ on the event side? And I'm like, not at all. But here's my philosophy is like the vast majority of businesses don't pay attention to, you know, the intersection of uh, business and, you know, the public sector at all. Um, and so it's almost like I almost feel like we're all trying to just take those. Uh, previously unengaged, you know, business owners, maybe executives and get them to get, get more involved. You know what I mean? That's, Absolutely. Yeah, Cause we, I go to your convenings all the time. So. Yeah. We, I love our events. I think we have some really great events, yeah. uh, you know, about various topics. And then I come to a lot of your events you too. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think, I think it's great. I, yeah. you know, the more that we can get all kinds of people networking yeah. together, uh, you know, I think the better off the whole community is. Yeah. There's a generation, I get excited to, um, a lot of the stuff about like, I don't, I don't participate in like the millennial, um, um, generalizations, you know, and like the Gen Z stuff, because it's like, um, I'm, I'm thinking of a half dozen Gen Z's that we have. They're awesome. I mean, they're just like their attitudes about a whole host of issues, especially diversity. It's so different. They're, um, um, more multifunctional, maybe there's less cynicism, I think. And I, I know, again, small sample size, but I'm, I sure. get excited when I think about that next generation. We have some fantastic millennials and Gen Z folks on our staff, yeah. and they are so good and so interested, and and they are teaching me so much. And so, I lo- yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's really dangerous to to oversimplify what a generation might be. It's reflected too in your awards, like 40 under 40. I see the, you, the, uh, IBJ reaching farther into maybe more, um, certainly more nonprofit kind of social entrepreneurial leaders than maybe what that list would have looked like 40 years ago. No doubt. And then we introduced this year our 20 in their twenties. So this was the first year we did 20 in their 20s. Honestly, I was Taft, a little. Marti, Marti, yeah, forget, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shout out to Susanna. Yeah. Uh, I was a little concerned that, you know, except what are we going to get here? How, how's this going to go? But honestly, it was really hard to pick. We yeah. had some fantastic yeah. um, people. And, you know, I always said I'm, I'm 50. How old am I? 52. 52. Yeah. And I always say, when I read the 40 under 40, I'm always like, oh, my God, look how much these people are. They're so much more uh, accomplished than I'm ever going to be. And then you get the 20 their 20s. It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I, I'm not oh even man. close to as accomplished as some of these people. So I find myself same. I find myself with some of these 20 somethings and 30 somethings more than half the time. They'll ask me something. and I'll be like, OK, let's level set. You're far so far ahead of where I was. <laughs> At your age, so let's get that let's get that straight. Yeah, so much more sophisticated in so many ways yeah, yeah. than I was at that age. It's yeah. just amazing. Well, I just I personally appreciate, you know, what the what the company is doing. Like you said, kind of 
stretching, definitely stretching beyond the boundaries of what would be considered a business journal. Um, in your efforts to embrace much more diversity, it does, it definitely does show much more relevant um, publication. But you personally, it's like, you know, your, your, your counterparts around the country are not as approachable <laughs> necessarily as you are and things like that, but you're always super approachable not cynical at all, a great connector of people. I just so appreciate that. Oh, thank you so much. This has really been a lot of fun. Well, thanks. We'll have to do a part two Sounds in great. 2022 if you'd be up for it. Okay. Leslie Weidenbender, thank you so much. Thank you.